Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, Global Volunteer Month could not come at a better time for a community in mourning. How to channel the hurt and anger into something positive for our neighbors and ourselves. Also this morning, the Fort Findlay FOP Lodge 20 Foundation is stepping up to honor one of their own with a fundraiser to support the family of fallen officer Dominic Francis. And probably not a big surprise, but alcohol use in the home spiked during the pandemic, accelerating an already growing trend. But is that sending a dangerous message to young people? This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Monday, April 4th, 2022. Today is 404 day, 404 day. If you've ever tried to visit a website and discovered that it was no longer there, or maybe you entered the web address incorrectly and one of those 404 messages popped up, it says file not found or website not found, 404. That's the internet code for a missing web page or a missing resource of some kind today being the 4th of april 404 is 404 day it is hug a news per, a news person day today <laughs> that seems very self-serving of me to uh, mention that but i want to make sure that i get that out of the, out there uh, hug a news person day international carrot day which kind of made me chuckle just because it's so random. Not that I have anything against carrots, you understand, but just seems so random. It's International Carrot Day, all right? National Tell a Lie Day, which is something you would not ordinarily celebrate, I would guess. Walk Around Things Day. It is Vitamin C Day and World Rat Day. What does it say that Hug a News Person Day and World Rat Day happens on the same day? I don't know. There's some subliminal message there. I don't know. Anyway, so uh, Carolina, South Carolina won the uh, Women's Basketball Championship uh, last night. Tonight is the uh, men's title game, but the women were in the spotlight last night. And I thought this was kind of interesting. A, A new bar opened up in the state of Oregon on Friday just in time for the women's college basketball championship game over the weekend, Oregon Bar opened up on Friday called the Sports Bra. <laughs> the Sports Bra is the name of the bar. It is dedicated exclusively to women's sports. So I thought this was a very clever idea. So you go into this place, and just like any regular sports bar, there are all kinds of TVs, all kinds of different sporting events. Uh, up for people to watch, but they are all, in this case, women's events. The founder of the sports bra, uh, Chef Jenny Gwynn, says she came up with the idea about four years ago while watching a championship game at a bar on a tiny TV with no sound. The women's championship game was relegated to the tiniest TV in the place, no sound, She said, uh, I want people to walk in here and feel like maybe it's a regular sports bar and have no idea until they sit down and pay a little more attention that it's all women's sports on the TVs. So that's kind of a clever idea. I like it. Uh, The menu for the sports bra uh, is all dedicated to every dish 
has kind of a uh, women's sports theme to it. Uh, some of the drinks include the Triple Axel, a fairly famous uh, uh, women's figure skating move, and the Title Nine <laughs> is one of the uh, one of the uh, drinks. So I just thought that was a really clever idea. Maybe that is uh, an idea that will catch on. I don't know. Um, by the way. I saw this story among the first things you need to know this morning. Speaking of sports, getting into the spring sports season, um, number of spring baseball games and spring soccer games and youth sports uh, season is upon us here. And especially in the spring, you will have those times when there will be weather issues. And this is always... This is always a tough thing because, you know, nobody wants to have to delay a, a ball game because of the weather and have to sit around and wait for a storm to pass and all of that. And there is always that temptation to kind of ignore the impending weather or to try and rush to get a game in before the weather gets there, even though, you know, dark clouds on the horizon and maybe you see a few flashes of light in the distant sky. And really not a good idea to try to play chicken with the weather in the springtime. Police in Tampa reporting that two people were injured in a lightning strike during a spring training game between the Yankees and Braves on Saturday afternoon happened in the parking lot of Raymond James Stadium. A man in his 60s and a woman in her 20s had to be transported to a hospital. They've been stabilized. Looks like they're going to survive. But uh, both struck by lightning in the parking lot. The uh, Yankees were up over the Braves in the sixth inning when the game was called due to thunderstorms in the area. And this is just one of those reasons why you don't mess with Mother Nature in the springtime. This is why, you know, your uh, youth baseball games and, and all of these things... Baseball, softball, soccer, all of these things are delayed when there are thunderstorms in the area. And I know sometimes people grumble, oh, now we got to sit around and wait out the storm. And, you know, why do we have to do that? What's the worst going to happen? It's not going to happen to us. That's what everybody thinks. But proof here of why they do that, why they uh, delay those games when there is uh, weather in the area. So something to keep in mind. Next time you have to uh, wait out a thunderstorm to get your uh, your kids' soccer game in. Uh, speaking of uh, of sports um, and spring training uh, game, the uh, Major League Baseball opener spring training is wrapping up. Major League Baseball openers are coming up. The delayed opening of the Major League Baseball season, and this is kind of interesting. A traditional part of the game, the hand signs that pitchers get from the from their catcher may soon be going away in Major League Baseball. MLB is increasing its experimentation with an electronic communication channel between pitchers and catchers. So they would have well I guess the they would have microphones and earpieces so that they could communicate by voice instead of the catcher given those signs to the pitcher what he should throw next. Uh, They've been testing this out during spring training 
And uh, they've been using it in some minor league uh, games last season. It could potentially be used in the majors even this year. With the pitch comm system, it says, the catcher wears a wristband with nine buttons for calling pitch and locations. They're calling the pitch and the location. And the uh, there's a receiver in the cap of the pitcher and in the catcher's helmet. Uh, the channel is encrypted so that the other team can't just tune in to the uh, channel and steal the signs. 77-year-old Hall of Fame manager Tony La Russa of the Chicago White Sox is a fan of this. He says he is very much in favor of it. I think it speeds the game up. Um, and you know how a lot of times the catcher has to call timeout, goes to the mound, say, hey, we're going to switch up the signs because we think the other team is stealing the signs and uh, all of this. Uh, New York Yankees manager Aaron Boone also had positive things to say after trying out the system. One other benefit, uh, or one of the benefits, is the system can eliminate sign stealing, which is a more significant issue in the wake of the uh, Astros sign stealing scandal back in 2017. But I don't know. I mean, again, baseball purists, baseball traditionalists are uh, a little wary because it just is another uh, deviation from the tradition of the sport and sign stealing by the other team is for better or worse a tradition of the sport if you can figure out the signs that the catcher has given the pitcher and you've got a player on second base especially and they can somehow relay the signs i mean that's part of the uh uh the gamesmanship of the of the game so i don't know i mean i'm i'm kind of torn but i suppose if uh you know, the major league players and managers are for it, then who are we to argue? But it's just another, uh, another way of modernizing the game, I guess. A couple of other uh, stories among the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. Did you hear this? At Disney, here's another sign that the COVID pandemic may be in its last on its last legs at Disney. Walt Disney World and Disneyland, fans will soon be able to meet and greet their favorite Disney characters again. Character meetings have been on hiatus for nearly two years due to the pandemic. But starting April 18th, patrons at some of the Disney parks will be able to meet and greet with characters. Some of the Disney parks. Now that includes Disneyland and the Walt Disney world resorts in florida as well as the disney cruise line uh a statement from the company says quote very soon you will once again be able to hug mickey mouse get an autograph from mulan and share a laugh with goofy we know many of you have missed these special moments and your disney character friends have missed you too uh disney is reinstating the character meetings throughout the spring and summer after following several safety protocols, including requiring guests to wear face coverings on uh, transportation in Disney parks, um, strongly recommending that guests be fully vaccinated or present a negative COVID-19 test before entering the park. Just some of the precautions. Slowly but surely, things are getting back to normal. So you know that we are just about done with the pandemic when we can now once again hug Mickey. So there's certainly some good news. And... Uh, Finally, this morning, among the first things you need to know 
this morning. Speaking of the pandemic, did you hear about the guy in Germany who who got vaccinated against COVID-19 90 times, 90 times so that he could get the vaccination cards, which he would then sell to other people who didn't want to get vaccinated. So basically he was getting vaccinated for them 90 times. Uh, let's see here. The uh, man from the eastern Germany, uh, German city of Magdeburg, whose name was not released in line with privacy rules in that nation, is said to have received up to 90 shots at vaccination centers in the eastern state of Saxony. This went on for months until police caught on and caught up to him earlier this month. Uh, The suspect was not detained, but is under investigation for unauthorized issuance of vaccination cards and document forgery. He was uh, caught at a vaccination center in Eilenburg in Saxony when he showed up for yet another COVID-19 shot. And it was his second day in a row that he was getting vaccinated. So they figured something was up. Police confiscated several blank vaccination cards and initiated criminal proceedings. I don't know. You've gotten 90, 90 COVID-19 shots. I think you've been punished enough, don't you? I mean, think about that. There you go. Uh, some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Monday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Mostly cloudy skies today. Some rain showers. The high in the low 50s. Mostly cloudy tonight, a low around 40. Your full forecast is coming up. A big crowd was on hand as Liberty Benton Local Schools cut the ribbon on its new field house over the weekend. Superintendent Mark Kowalski says he sees their school campus as being a town center for the community, and this new facility enhances that even more. Once we finish our elementary school and add some other things here on the campus, we're looking at 2,000 people working and playing here uh, on a daily basis, and we're going to call this the town of Liberty Benton now. So we're really looking forward to having uh, everybody here on one site. He says the new indoor turf practice facility was privately funded by generous donations from the community and will be utilized by all sports, the band, and the community. You can see video of the new field house from the ribbon-cutting ceremony and get more of our conversation with the superintendent on the website. Ongoing work by Columbia Gas will cause some lane closures and delays on South Main Street in Finley. The company's been installing new gas lines, and the work has caused some road closures, including on East Lima Street at South Main. And beginning today, South Main will be down to one lane in either direction in the area of Lima Street to give crews room to install a new main line across Main Street. The lane closures will be in effect for about a month. Delays are to be expected and drivers are encouraged to find another route. The remains of an army private from northwest Ohio who died in Germany during World War II have been identified. The Defense Department confirmed the identification of Army Private William Grow Jr. of Tiffin, who was 22 when he died. He was reported wounded in action on November 13, 1944. German forces never listed Grow as a prisoner of war, and the government presumptively declared him dead the following year. A set of remains found by a forester and buried at an American military cemetery in Belgium were investigated, and Grow was identified through dental and material evidence. He'll be buried in Phoenix. Dave James, in News. Hunters across Ohio are preparing for this year's spring wild turkey hunting season, which gets underway this month. 
The Ohio Department of Natural Resources Division of Wildlife says during last year's season, hunters took in more than 14,000 wild turkeys. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Well, as it happens, April is Global Volunteer Month, and certainly the timing for this community especially could not be any better because during times of tragedy and times of uncertainty, people look for ways to find purpose and to make a positive impact on their community and in the lives of others. Natalie Paquin is president and CEO of Points of Light. And Natalie, what does volunteerism look like in 2022 after all that we've been through over the past couple of years? Chris, volunteerism looks like, uh, you know, everyday people stepping up and helping a neighbor, helping a friend, getting involved in uh, an issue that they care about. Uh, one of the things that we saw during the, the pandemic is that the human spirit would not be denied and it is natural and normal for people to want to help. And so volunteerism is, is really people leaning in to do good um, in their community. As we said, not only are we living in uncertain times with what we see in the news, both here in this country and around the world, we are a community that is still heartbroken and hurting. The loss of a police officer in the line of duty really hits hard. It is a jolt to our collective psyche and channeling that hurt and that anger into something positive is a good way to process that. Yes, uh, we agree. Global Volunteer Month is, is about lifting up and celebrating the stories and the impact and the power of people who are doing good. Yeah. And uh, our heart is uh, mourning with people. And, you know, when, uh, when, when neighbors are bringing food over, when they're driving um, each other to visitation, to visit families, mm-hmm. when they're making calls to check in, these are all acts. Of volunteerism, the wellness call, the delivery of food, the the let me give you a ride. That is what Global Volunteer Month is about. It is really about celebrating the glue in our community uh, who steps up in ordinary and extraordinary times. And I'm really sorry about um, the police officer and our heart goes out to their family. Yeah. Talk about how to find that way of making a positive impact that really speaks to you, because that's going to be different for everyone. Yes, it is. And, you know, the way that we inspire uh, friends and family is we share stories. We we share and tell them about uh, the impact. Sometimes people feel like volunteerism is daunting. Um, our request would be, or, you know, our suggestion is uh, to invite a friend. The number one reason why people volunteer, uh, Chris, is because they're invited. When you share the impact of the experience and they feel the impact of their experience, they come back. And if you give them a, a really quality experience, you may have them for a lifetime. So we say invite a friend or let a friend or family member know you'd like to help and and volunteer. And as you said, there are so many different ways to do that, that if if one way of stepping up and helping in the community uh, maybe is not necessarily something that speaks to you, that's okay, because what really uh, helps one person find their purpose and really means something to one person will be very different than, than somebody else. So it's okay if not every uh, form of volunteerism speaks the same to every person. 
Correct. And if you visit our website at pointsoflight.org, uh, we have a, a global network that is around the world, actually. We're in uh, cities around the United States and 38 countries around the world. But if you put in your zip code, um, what it will do is provide you with opportunities um, in real time to volunteer in your community. Mm. And if you don't see uh, an opportunity in your community, we also have stories and information and toolkits about how you might be able to get started. And so I would really encourage your listeners to think about what's important to them and whatever is important to, to you, there is a need. And if you take the time, use your voice, um, I'm sure you can find uh, a good way to uh, to support that cause. Well, yeah, and and as we were mentioning a little bit before we actually went on the air, if nothing else, if you still feel kind of intimidated or you know like uh, starting, I can't start a movement. It's not about that. It's it can be something as simple as volunteering for the backyard mission trip that can give you that same feeling of having contributed to the greater good and surrounded by others. And you know that's a, a another good way to get started. Yes, uh, we we want to remind people that every action matters and mm-hmm. no act is small. It all counts. It all counts. And um, and we're excited to be celebrating uh, volunteers and ordinary people in communities every day during the entire month of April. Yeah. Uh, and, and the other point that you bring up, and I, I just want to mention this as uh, almost a sidebar, but I think this is important too. When we... Uh, when we volunteer, when we step up to do something uh, along those lines, that in and of itself can inspire uh, our friends, our family, our colleagues to take action themselves. And you get kind of this positive snowball going. Yes, absolutely. Uh, we we say meet people where, where they are. And mm-hmm. so, you know, people can always use their voice as well. You can use your purchase power, but uh, don't be intimidated. Every small act matters. Absolutely. Again, Natalie Paquin is president and CEO of Points of Light. What a wonderful perspective for Global Volunteer Month in April. And Natalie, you mentioned your website has a lot of resources, a lot of inspiration for folks who uh, may be looking for a way that they can make a difference. Yes, pointsoflight.org. Thank you, Chris. So, of course, uh, everyone knows uh, by now the uh, tragedy that uh, occurred late last week involving uh, Bluffton Police Department uh, Officer Dominic Francis, the Fort Findlay FOP Lodge 20 Foundation, stepping up to honor one of their own as a member of uh, the FOP Lodge 20 uh, with a fundraiser to uh, support the family of uh, Officer Francis. And uh, uh, Teresa White is uh, with us, the uh, development director for the FOP Lodge 20 Foundation. Uh, Teresa, this was one of those things where, you know, given what happened last week, uh, you know you've got to step up uh, to help uh, the family of the fallen officer. I mean, it's just kind of a no-brainer. Yes, and in a situation like this, everyone wants to step up and support the family. Um, Officer Dominic Francis died protecting all of us. He's Mm -hmm. a hero to the world, and everyone wants to step up and help his family. And not everybody really knows how. And in an effort to centralize donations and centralize that effort, the Francis family has authorized us to be that vehicle for them. Uh, Cash foundation or cash finance donations 
um, in Officer Francis's name are being accepted by our foundation. Yeah. Uh, and again, as we were talking before we went on the air, that's not to say that other uh, fundraisers are not worthy of, I think, the uh, uh, Fallen uh, Officer Foundation, uh, Back the Blue Foundation. I mean, there are a number of legitimate uh, organizations that are also accepting donations uh, in honor of uh, Officer Francis. This is a centralized way of uh, of donating directly to the family. Yes. In a situation like this, like we were saying, everybody wants to hop up and help. Right. And um, I know that Ohio Going Blue is doing a t-shirt fundraiser. Yeah. I believe Corey Rawson School is also doing a t-shirt fundraiser. Mm-hmm. In situations like this, it's very difficult to determine um, the instances of fraud. And sadly, yeah. Those do tend to run rather high. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you are looking to support the Francis family, always check and make sure that it's an authorized fundraiser, that it's been either authorized by the family or by Bluffton Police Department. Mm-hmm. Um, ours has been authorized by the family um, just to make sure that those donations, that money that you're giving to support the family makes it to the family. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting uh, because in the past, and we've talked about the uh, foundation, most of the conversations we have are involving uh, the youth and the and the things with the uh, uh, Cops and Kids Go Shopping uh, and, and other Cops and Kids uh, events uh, that you have uh, both uh, in the past and on the schedule uh, in the future, and also uh, the community community relations aspect of what you do. Uh, so this is also a very uh, important part of what the FOP and the FOP Foundation does. Absolutely. I mean, part of our mission statement is to support active, retired, and fallen members and their families. Mm-hmm. So this is our job. This is what we do. This is what the organization was created for, is to support. And, and in a sense, this is a, an extension of that community relations part. Absolutely. Absolutely. We provide that bridge between law enforcement and the community, whether it's through our youth and community programming, um, cops and kids go back to school, cops and kids go shopping, Mm -hmm. or these different support aspects when we have a fallen member being able to step up and support their family. And it also is, in a larger sense, not just a uh, a way to support uh, the family of the fallen officer, but also speaks volumes for all law enforcement families, I know you are are one, uh, and I'm sure that this last few days has been very difficult for all law enforcement officers because you and, and their families because you know that this is a possibility, and it really drives home the possibility. Um, but to see the community step up and their support uh, is is something that all law enforcement. Uh, personnel and their families really take to heart. Absolutely. It's extremely comforting. I remember uh, back last year when Toledo had a line of duty death on the 4th of July when Anthony Dio was killed. Mm -hmm. Um, My little girl was very concerned. She says, does his family have to sleep alone tonight? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, we're very blessed. Daddy comes home every night. He doesn't work. He doesn't work night shift. Yeah. And um, we watched the funeral together. We watched the live stream and I said, no, baby, every single one of these people will be here for them forever. Mm-hmm. Their daddy can't be there anymore. So even your daddy would step up if they needed it. Mm-hmm. And it is very comforting knowing that if something were to ever happen to my family, that my blue family would step up. And yeah. I know that every law enforcement family feels the same way. And not just uh, within the law enforcement community, but the community at large. Uh, it, this is a way of, like we said, not only supporting the family of this fallen officer, but saying to all law enforcement families that that old saying, we've got your six. Yes, absolutely. It 
in this day and age, the the, the vitriol is just terrible. Yeah. The the rhetoric being spewed about how yeah. awful law enforcement is. The guys, law enforcement really takes that to heart. Mm-hmm. It's not hurting those bad officers. It's hurting the good ones. Yeah. That's why we have such a high rate of suicide amongst law enforcement professionals. Mm-hmm. It's a terrible thing. And when things like this, when things like this happen, it reminds them that there are good people out there mm-hmm. and that people do support them and that the vast majority of people, as you said, do have their sex. Yeah, it, it is uh, maybe it, it's natural to try and find a silver lining in a tragedy like this. But if there is a silver lining, this would be it. Absolutely. This and relationships that are formed, um, bonds that are forged in fire are so much stronger than others. And I know that all of our departments with Bluffton being such a small department, mm-hmm. um, wives from the Hancock County Sheriff's Office have stepped up to be helpful. Wives from the Finley Police Department have stepped up to be helpful. State Highway Patrol wives have stepped up to be helpful. All of these different barriers are being broken down. We are mm-hmm. all blue right now and we all bleed for Bluffton. Yeah. Uh, so with respect to uh, the uh, fundraiser, how do folks give? Kind of give us the ins and outs and the who, what, when, where, and why and all of that. We've updated our face. We've updated both our Facebook page and our website mm-hmm. so that when you go to either immediately, you'll see a photo of Officer Francis and there's a donate now button there. Our website is FortFinleyFOP20.org. And is this an ongoing thing or how long do you anticipate this fundraiser going on? This will be ongoing for an extended period of time. Okay. I know for sure that we will keep it up past the funeral. Okay. We want to make sure that that we give everyone who wants to support the family the opportunity to donate. I know in our household, we've been going 100 miles an hour for the last few days. Yeah. Um, and so are a lot of other folks. Right. So we want to make sure that we leave it up and we leave it running as long as we possibly can. And it, it may be something that we leave up in perpetuity just to make sure that we always have that opportunity for people to support the Francis family. Because uh, the need is going to be ongoing, obviously. Absolutely. And, uh, uh, again, just a one way that we can, in some measure, uh, pay our respects uh, not only to Officer Francis and his family, but to the law enforcement community as a whole. And again, Teresa White, the Fort Finley FOP Lodge 20 Foundation with us this morning. Teresa, thanks very much for being with us. God bless. Thanks, Chris. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. You know the old saying that hell hath no fury like a woman scorned? Well, sometimes... It's the men you got to watch out for. (laughs) One woman in England found that out the hard way. Alicia Moy, age 20, came home to a huge mess after she dumped her boyfriend, Jordan, after the two had been dating for a few weeks. Jordan filled her shoes with baked beans, threw spaghetti sauce around the room, ruining her clothing, and also cut the cords on all of her kitchen appliances. She tells uh, local news reporters, this is my first home, and Jordan just completely violated it. Thanks to him, now I suffer with trust issues. Yeah, I would I would think so. Uh, she says she met him on Tinder and that things had gotten weird after they dated for a few weeks after getting home and discovering the mess he had made. She says she called her mom and contacted police who arrested Jordan a few days later. She also spent a day and a half cleaning her apartment with the help of her family, but also had to repaint the walls and get the carpets professionally cleaned. Jordan has been sentenced to a two-year community order. That's how they term it in Great Britain. 
and had to pay twenty-two, nearly $2,300 in compensation and nearly $600 in court costs. He was also served a five-year restraining order. <laughs> wow. Man, oh man, that is, uh, that is just ugly. Elsewhere in the uh, broken news, <laughs> this is embarrassing. Uh, this also from Merry Old England, where uh, photos shared by police show what uh, appears to be a Ferrari 488 vehicle worth $328,000 that was crashed on the same day the owner bought it. <laughs> police in Derbyshire uh, posted the photo and captioned it. First of April, driver bought a Ferrari this morning, crashed it after driving less than two miles. Two miles. That's so he got two miles down the road and uh, wrapped it around it. Well, I guess he uh, slammed into a uh, guardrail. <laughs> no injuries in the incident, but uh, somebody is incredibly embarrassed. $328,000 vehicle crashed it within two miles. <clears throat> Driving it off the lot. Ah. Uh, by the way, speaking of uh, vehicles, you know, I'd, no one likes being trapped behind a vehicle that has one of those student driver stickers on it. I mean, let's be honest. You see those and you think, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> so imagine the surprise of the police when they pulled over one of those student driver vehicles to find the driver completely sloshed. Uh, and that's not even the half of it. The driver was the instructor in the yeah. Florida Highway Patrol reports the bizarre incident happened during the overnight hours Friday in Pasco County. Troopers pulled the vehicle over and arrested Gregory Sorensen, age 54, where a blood alcohol con uh, level nearly three times the legal limit. He's arrested for DUI and police uh, found actually open containers of beer in the vehicle. Apparently, he had uh, stashed a 24-pack of Natty Light. Uh, adds the Florida Highway Patrol, quote, hopefully this isn't part of the driving curriculum. That's... No kidding. No kid. I would imagine he's probably looking for a new job. I would imagine that he's probably no longer a uh, driving instructor for <laughs> young students. And finally, in the uh, broken news this morning... Oh, my goodness. Talk about an embarrassing mistake. Uh, in southeastern Utah, heavy machinery being used to rebuild a boardwalk at a popular tourist area has apparently destroyed dinosaur tracks from 112 million years ago. Oh, goodness. The damage at the Mill Canyon Dinosaur Track Site... Um, they actually say that in the larger scheme of things, it's minor damage, but some footprints uh, around the rims uh, had fractures, and obviously it's not repairable. U.S. Bureau of Land Management uh, says the an area where a prehistoric crocodile crossed a mudflat appeared to have been driven over multiple times by a backhoe, uh, causing damage to the, uh, the tracks that obviously didn't ever be able to Replace the Salt Lake Tribune reports the site is considered among the most important dinosaur track areas in the nation, containing tracks from at least 10 different species 
of dinosaurs dating back 112 million years plowed over by a backhoe. The agency in the report said the project should be reevaluated in the area clearly marked so that work crews will know where they can and cannot go in the future. The report also noted the agency should fill a vacancy for a regional paleontologist that has been vacant since 2018 so that they can actually know what it is they're trying to avoid. Oh, my goodness. What a mess. That would be embarrassing. How would you like to be the backhoe driver that learns later that you destroyed uh, dinosaur tracks from 112 million years ago? Oh, man. I don't know that <laughs> I could handle that. There you go. Uh, that is uh, today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Take WFIN wherever you go with our updated mobile apps for iPhone and Android. And now you can listen to us on your Alexa device. Get the app at WFIN.com or in the App Store or Google Play. Plus, enable Alexa by searching for WFIN under Skills and you'll soon be saying, Alexa, play 1330 WFIN. And the best part is the apps and skills are absolutely free. On the air at 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Online at WFIN.com and on your smartphone, tablet, and Alexa devices. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. This is probably not a big shocker that more than half of Americans feel embarrassed talking to others about their finances. This may include you. But an interesting uh, survey of 2,000 adults uh, reveals some of the reasons why we are so uneasy and some of the specifics as to the things that we are uneasy talking about. Uh, this survey uh, from, oh, I had it here, um, it's conducted by one poll in partnership with Questus. The uh, study delves into Americans' financial attitudes. A um, lot of numbers here to unpack. 56% believe talking about finances with others is taboo. Although most are not sure why money talk may be taboo. 81% say, I don't know why, it just is. Respondents say the most controversial money-related topics are asking about their parents' finances, 51%. 45% said talking about debt, uh, asking about wills or talking about wills uh, and uh, estate planning, 43% uh, cited that as the most controversial money-related topic. Uh, debt in particular is such a taboo topic that nearly three in five people distort their actual money situation on social media to appear more financially stable. 58% of us say we do that. Uh, 76% describe themselves as an open book, but in reality, 63% confess that they would never discuss finances at the family dinner table. I don't know. Is, is that the, the right venue? I, I don't know. Um, I try not to be, you know, queasy about talking about finances because it impacts everyone, you know, it's, but, uh, at the dinner table, 60%, this was really interesting. 60% say that they have woken up in the middle of the night thinking about their finances. That ever happened to you? You've been so worried about money that you can't sleep or that it wakes you up in the middle of the night. Two in three. Uh, in this poll, find themselves wide awake due to a feeling that they're not where they should be financially in life. Uh, respondents would rather watch a scary movie, speak in front of a large audience, 
or sit in two hours of traffic than thinking about their financial issues. 30% said uh, they prefer a scary movie to talking about their finances. 27% said speaking in front of a large uh, group of people, which is a big phobia for a lot of people, said that would be even preferable to talking about their finances. 28% say that they would rather sit in traffic for two hours than uh, think about their financial issues. We have this uh, real aversion to talking about or even in some cases thinking about our finances. And that could be one of the reasons why uh, we are so uh, in such trouble. So many people uh, are with respect to their finances. We got to talk about it. We got to think about it. We got to confront it if we're ever going to uh, improve the issue. Just something to think about. Well, from the data, we know that one of the effects of the pandemic was that alcohol use in the home has increased over the past two years. And that has many experts concerned. Aaron Hildreth is vice president of communications for Responsibility.org. And Aaron, the numbers, as I uh, understand it, are a little bit uh, deceiving because uh, from what I am given to understand, the, the raw total sales of alcohol was not that much different during the pandemic, but we bought a lot more booze at liquor stores that made up for what we weren't buying at bars and restaurants and then some, right? That's right. It, and it makes sense when you think about all of the shutdowns right. and all of the shifts to eating within your home, drinking within your home, just like we did everything within our home over exactly. the last two years. Exactly. Uh, so you recently conducted a survey on Americans' attitudes toward alcohol use. What are some of the key findings from that? Well, not only were more people drinking within their home, so 23% of adults say they drank more during lockdowns than they did prior, and they did that within their homes, but they also did it with their children present. So it makes sense because kids were home too. And so overall, 50% of parents report that their kids had more exposure to drinking in the home during the pandemic. So if kids are seeing it, it's absolutely time to talk about it. And we're not saying that everyone's drinking behaviors were unhealthy or out of balance. We're just saying that kids are seeing it more. So really those conversations at home need to be happening more than ever. Now to expand on a couple of those points, uh, one of the things that stood out to me um, is I've always heard, and this is one of the things that we've talked about in the, in the past that drinking at home has always been of, of greater concern than drinking socially is maybe a bit of a warning sign of alcohol abuse. If you are uh, drinking more at home and, and so on is, is that reflected at all uh, in this? It's not reflected here, but we do have to think because, that when we drink at home, people are watching us and those yeah. people are little people and they're making up their own expectations and realities about alcohol. Yeah. So 16% of adults who consumed alcohol in the home said they did it when they were stressed out. And so if you're sending a message and to your kids that when you're stressed out, alcohol is the answer because it's my answer, that needs to change. Yeah. Instead, you need to think of a healthy coping mechanism, taking a walk, reading a book, taking a break, what have you, any kind of self-care that you can think of so that kids are finding healthier ways to cope with this stress, so, or uncertainty. Yeah, so uh, a, a couple of, again, uh, takeaways from that as as an example. I mean, obviously, uh, drinking uh, to work out stress is not a healthy thing 
to begin with. And then, as you mentioned, with the kids home around the clock, that's one of the bigger uh, concerns is that normalization of alcohol use and the message that it is sending to the little ones. That's right. And that's why modeling responsible drinking behaviors at home is so important. So if you enjoy um, a cocktail or some kind of alcoholic beverage as you're making dinner or when you're sitting down to a movie, that's modeling responsible alcohol consumption. And that is something that we really think is important. And then also having a conversation. So I can tell you that last night I had a conversation with my kids that I wasn't going to have an alcoholic beverage with dinner because I had somewhere to be later and I was going to be driving. So just something really little like that. It doesn't have to be a formal conversation. Just pop it into regular conversation, pop it into your everyday lifestyle, and it'll make a difference. That's what I was going to ask. How do parents initiate these conversations or what do these, what should these conversations look like when it comes to drinking And particularly uh, as it relates to underage drinking, because that, again, is the next logical extension of the concern. Yes. Well, first and foremost, I would say that parents should not underestimate the influence they have on their kids. When we asked kids, and that includes teens, what their number one influence was when it came to drinking behavior, it was their parents. It was not celebrities. It was not social media. It was their parents. Now, of course, social media and celebrities do have an influence, but 62% of kids said that it was their parents. Whereas when we ask parents, who do you think is the biggest influence on, um, or do you think that you you have an influence? Only 20% thought that they had an influence on their kids' um, drinking behaviors. So parents need to not underestimate the fact that their conversations are hitting home, they're hitting hard, and they're making a good difference. So starting the conversations early and practicing ways to say no to risky or unhealthy behaviors with your kids is probably one of the best things you can do. Of course, reminding your kids that drinking alcohol under the legal drinking age is against the law. Mm -hmm. And then one thing that we also like to bring into the conversation is health. So talking about ways that alcohol affects your developing brain and your developing body is really important, and it's something that kids think about, especially in upper elementary and middle school, when that's what they're learning about in school, which is why we have our underage drinking prevention program called Ask, Listen, Learn. Yeah, that is a, a program that has actually been around for a couple of decades now. It, it predates the pandemic. This is not created specifically for that, but a lot of resources there to help uh, parents uh, broach the subject and, and have these conversations. Absolutely. So it's not just about alcohol either, which I think is so refreshing. It also talks about these mental health, social and emotional skills like decision making and goal setting and peer pressure. But at the end of the day, this is rooted in science. So it's not just I'm telling you to say no, so say no. It teaches kids what the brain does, what alcohol does to it, and then what that does to them. So it gives gives them a foundation for why they should say no. And it also goes into why mom and dad or grandma and grandpa or adults can have alcohol, but they can't. Hmm. Um, One of the things I want to point out here, too, and I think this is important to uh, emphasize, that some of these evolving views among adults surrounding casual drinking had already been taking place. This wasn't all because of the pandemic, right? 
Absolutely. I mean, oh, I, I feel like it's happened even when I was a teenager. Some parents think that if they don't talk about alcohol, then their kids um, will rebel more. But what we need to do is just remember the conversations just need to be happening. If alcohol doesn't exist in your home, then perhaps you shouldn't have a conversation about alcohol. That's not true. Then the conversation probably should happen even more if it's not familiar within the home. And about half, so 49%, believe that allowing kids to drink or experiment at home will demystify alcohol. But really what we want to do is set the baseline for the fact that alcohol is illegal. Alcohol is not a good choice. It's not a healthy choice. And it's one that they shouldn't be engaging in. Again, Aaron Hildreth is Vice President of Communications for Responsibility.org. I mentioned the Ask, Listen, Learn program with a lot of resources to help parents in that conversation and guiding their young people toward a healthy attitude toward alcohol, especially at young ages. Where do we get more information? Well, you can get information at Responsibility.org. To get those conversation starters and info for your kids, go to AskListenLearn.org. Aaron, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks. I appreciate you. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Once again, reminder that you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the program at our webpage, go to goodmornings.net, where you can also connect with us on social media, shoot us an email if there's something you want to share with us directly, sign up for our daily email newsletter and more. Again, goodmornings.net. So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.